0: I had teachers who understood that um, I tend to think and I tend to think very much in like larger contexts and synthesis. So in high school, I actually handed in a paper that was one sentence long. Oh
1: my god, (laughs) what was the sentence?
0: Uh, Well, it was it uh, it was it was a paper and your first one to ask me this, like people usually don't ask me this. It was actually a paper about uh, Hamlet. And I said, um, if you cannot be yourself, you cannot be. And happily, my teacher went, okay, she's got it.
1: Welcome to the With Sayada podcast, brought to you by the Center for Belonging and Understanding, a podcast that brings to you stories of lived experience that you might not otherwise encounter this is a podcast that encourages you to cultivate belonging and understand others i'm your host author and coach sayed azadi and every episode i'll be asking a new guest to share their story brandy agabek is the founder of loosetooth.com She's the kid that drew all the time and never stopped. In 1996, Brandy fell into a job that led her to do her favorite things, drawing and thinking. As a graphic facilitator, Brandy gets to listen and synthesize complex conversations while practicing world-class facilitation methods and gaining hands-on experience in a variety of industries. Brandy will make you a stronger, happier, and more confident visual thinker. She published her book in 2012, The Idea Shapers, and has been teaching the Agabec method ever since. So um, it's a real gift for me to be here with Brandy Agabeck, who's the founder of LooseTooth.com. And uh, Brandy, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you. So let me just share a little story about how I found you, because you may or may not know this. But um, I kind of came across appreciative inquiry about 15 years ago when I did my master's in applied positive psychology and completely ignored it. Because I I ordered a book on appreciative inquiry, got a manual that was about four inches thick. And I thought, okay, I do not have the time or the capacity to look at this. So here I am kind of maybe, you know, 15 years on from that. And I've started to become much more involved in the world of appreciative inquiry and one of the things that I started to see is that people um, have visual thinkers or they have somebody that's kind of doing a visual artwork to represent the events and I thought well I was an architect I used to be able to draw way back when I must be able to develop this skill. And literally, I just went online, kind of searched a little bit, and your name came up.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear
1: it. (laughs) And and so that's how I found out about you. And, And I think for me, one of the things that I always try and do is I want to learn from people that I like. You know, there's knowledge that you can get, right? But actually... For me, the person that I'm learning from, I think it's really important that we have some kind of um, share and level of um, integrity and understanding at a much deeper level. And so... I attended one of your kind of public workshop sessions. I think, in fact, I attended about two or three of them before in the end nice. I signed up for the program. <laughs> but what I loved about that was just the generosity of the sharing, the way that, you know, you could learn something within that. And and within the show notes, there will be a link to those workshops. And I think you do them on a monthly basis or something yeah, that's, like that? Yeah, that's
0: my monthly, I call it uh, drawing as a verb. It's a monthly q and I get to share a couple models that are really good kind of mental door openers and contact setters and um i it really is meant to be let me share a couple models but let's have lots of times for q and a and you know it all depends on who shows up sometimes there's you know a quieter group sometimes there's more questions but it's always a joy
1: yeah and and to be part of it is a gift as well because i think you know it's one of these things where you can learn how to do something but actually the depth and the nuance comes in the repetition and yeah, absolutely and so that's, that's why I love kind of participating in that. And, and I think, you know, I'm always curious to know why do people do what they do? So I'd love to hear your story about how you got into visual thinking and the work that you do now.
0: Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, and like you, I really appreciate what you just said about really feeling a connection and the integrity and in somebody you're learning with and from um, I'm the same way where it's, you know, and that was actually something that I don't know. I had some kind of abstract idea of (laughs) maybe it's the know-it-all in me that it's like, you know, um, a lot of pressure I put on myself as a teacher. And then finally, one day it was like, wait a second, people learn from different people. You know, you, you, one person is not going to learn visual thinking only from me. I mean, great. (laughs) I welcome it, but it's, you know, the idea that we get different things from different teachers and we do resonate with certain people. So just kind of getting to a point where I'm like, Hey, I stand very confidently in what I do and what I love and how I teach. And we're going to, you know, that's going to attract the people who resonate with me. So, you know, you got two people with megawatt smiles talking to each other (laughs) 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 this morning, geeking out about this. Um, But as far as sort of how I got, how I got into this, um, I can, you know, very much to that point about appreciative inquiry. I consider myself extremely fortunate that I've always got to work to my strengths. And that was because as a little kid, I drew all the time. Um, A lot of folks, when they do that, they get they kind of get in trouble in school. You know, they're doodling or they don't seem like they're paying attention. Their parents may not get it. Thankfully, I had uh, two parents, um, you know, plenty of dysfunction in the family, but this part was good, which was uh, both very creative people. My dad was an amazing artist um, and it was really, really encouraged. And in school, somehow my teachers... Would kind of let me turn whatever the assignment was into some kind of hands-on project, like turning it into my friend Larissa says she can learn anything if she can turn it into a craft project. I'm like, that (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And somehow, you know, a lot of kids, they do that and like the the it doesn't fit the educational system. Somehow I was really lucky to have teachers who gave me a lot of space for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of it was I wasn't a disruptive kid and I was usually making more work for myself. So I think those were the two things where they went, okay, just let Brandy do what Brandy's doing. (laughs) But that really let me work to my strengths. Thankfully, um, you know, I was able to kind of like choose things that were more hands-on. That's what kept me most engaged. Uh, Happily, I had teachers who understood that um, I tend to think and uh, I tend to Think very much in like larger contexts and synthesis. So in high school, I actually handed in a paper that was one sentence long.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> what was the sentence? Uh, yeah,
0: it, well, it was it, uh, it was it was a paper, and you're first one to ask me this. Like people usually don't ask me this. It was actually a paper about uh, Hamlet, and I said, um, "If you cannot be yourself, you cannot be." And <gasps> happily, my teacher went, "Okay, she's got it." <laughs> but even <laughs> that sentence. That's Thank so you. deep. Yeah, I Thanks. say that again. That that if you cannot be yourself, you cannot be.
1: Oh my god. So very
0: much to, to thine own self be true. So
1: yeah, I'm gonna take that <laughs> away and I think reflect on that for a few days. I, I'm sorry Excellent. I interrupted you.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. And that was, you know, that was very much, you know, again, thankful that he could recognize, oh, okay, you know, like this is not somebody trying to get out at something, just truly, this is the way my brain works. And to that point, it's kind of funny when I was probably about 13 or 14, I was like, and I mean, I know this is so precocious, and ridiculous, but I was like, I just want to, I just want to be paid to be me. Like, I just want to make a living being me. And remarkably I have, but what happened in between being 13 and 14 and, you know, handing in one sentence papers was, um. I was the first person in my family to go to college, which was I'm very proud of and was huge and big and weird and unknown. And uh, I chose a college that uh, gave me a lot of space and a lot of independence. Um, I went into college thinking I was going to be a biology major because I love hands-on learning. I love systems, you know, processes. How do these things work? Um, and I got down to the phospholipid bilayer (laughs) in cell biology. I don't even know what that is. (laughs) No, it's, it's literally like the walls of cells. And that, like, I got down to that, like teeny tiny bit of minutiae, and then it was going to get even more minute. And I went, nope. (laughs) Gosh. I was like, all right. Um, and then I declared an art major, a studio art major at this liberal arts college, which surprised absolutely nobody. And, um, I did four years. My concentration was in printmaking. I did almost as much ceramics, very, you know, crunchy, hands-on, awesome um, mediums. And my final critique with my printmaking professor, you know, he had a very kind of antagonistic relationship with his students. And he said um, in this final critique, he said, you're really good at illustrating ideas.
1: Mm. And at the
0: time, because of that antagonism, I thought it was more sort of like you can be an illustrator, but you're not a fine artist. And I didn't, you know, I mean, I didn't let his stuff kind of stick to me too hard. <laughs> I couldn't; <laughs> it'd be too yeah. much. But but it was like kind of this thing that kind of kind of sat with me, like, huh, interesting. And then weirdly, remarkably, this is so bonkers. Um, just three months after I graduated, four months, um, I had been working retail at a at a paper store, and I left that. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go out in the world, and I'm going to create a rubber stamp company.
1: Wow.
0: Okay drawing rubber stamps. And uh, a classmate of mine from Grinnell College, where I went to school, uh, called me and said, I just, I just toured this place and it's so you, you have to come in and inter- interview with them. And that was um, Ernst & Young had just built a brand new space uh, to run change management workshops. And the change management workshops, the methodology, and the way the environment was set up was all from this uh, much smaller boutique consulting company called MG Taylor. So I walk in, I'm 22 years old. I don't know which end is up. And, you know, I don't know what management consulting is. You know, this is back in 1996. Um, I say it's the, you know, beginning of the dot-com boom and the middle of the consulting boom. And uh, I walk in and and um, I'm interviewing with this gentleman and I mentioned that I can draw and he lights up and he points to somebody who's across the space at a giant dry erase wall and says, um, okay, you're going to do what that guy's doing in 20 minutes. I'm like, What? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. You know, I was too young to be scared. And because it kind of connected to a very early, um, important point in, in college where I drew out a speech as I was giving it, I went, okay. And that was graphic facilitation. That was the role yeah, of yeah. mapping out groups of people's conversations. Um, so, remarkably weirdly, I fell into this very specific way of thinking visually. So, you know, happily, it was a way I got to nerd out, use my listening skills and all that synthesis and organizing skills. And of course, you know, a whole lot of what I knew about drawing out ideas, like my, like my printmaking professor had said. So, um, and that has been a fantastic career. uh, And that very much has always been being the one person in the room drawing for the group. And as time went on, and I thought more and more, first, I was thinking about Colleagues who unfortunately kind of thought what they were doing were drawing pictures. What They, they thought that the, the job was about having a roll of paper and markers, mm. and, you know, and they didn't truly understand what it meant to facilitate in this specific way, you know, as sort of a silent partner to the facilitators or the clients. But how much, how important our role is and how we listen, how do we distill, what ideas do we grab, how do we distill them and how do we organize them? So first, my kind of, you know, um, really kind of stepping back and thinking about what is this work? What is, what are the responsibilities? What are the skill sets um, came through teaching more specifically about graphic facilitation. But what I've loved is shifting from being that one person in the room to teaching everyone visual thinking. Now there is a subset of those folks who want that specific professional role, but I got to say, I'm so much more excited you know the the uh, envision event that that I first got to see see you live in your smile I um, that was truly meant for all types of visual thinkers and happily mm-hmm. that has been who it attracts. so um I don't I think I answered your question somewhere in there, but happily with that appreciative inquiry uh, kind of introduction or how you found me was um again really really thankful that I fell into this work that let me use my listening skills and my thinking and organizing skills and of course what, most people think of it as is that external kind of drawing skills, um, first very much in service to groups of people doing work. Um, but again, I, you know, I'm so darn excited that I'm now it's much, much, I, I don't really, I mean, I never, i don't ever have to really close the door on graphic facilitation, but truly my work is now about teaching everybody visual thinking.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I, honestly, that sounds like one hell of an interview to go to, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my you gosh. Know.
0: Yeah. And I know, you know, when I really look at it, like it was again, it was they had just built this space. They were looking for their own contractors, and you know, they at a certain extent they were kind of looking for any warm body they could work really hard for a six day contract.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know well, what I heard in 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 that, and also in in your kind of like essay response, is that you try, strike me as a risk taker. And I think actually that's the thing that appeals to me about you is that, like, for me, I know where the boundaries are and I kind of have an idea of the rules, but I want to push those boundaries and maybe break a rule here and there, because I think that's where the innovation is.
0: Do you, uh, so do you know that that's actually the the original, um, the original uh, definition of the word hip, like to be Mm -hmm. hip, like in the 60s? No, go ahead. actually... Is actually to do your own thing within, like to work within the rules, but make it your own. Like you know that you're like, I'm hip to the system, but I know how to get what I want. That's (laughs) so so funny. Yeah, isn't
1: that great? I spend my life saying that I'm a hippie, but kind of like saying in secret. And now I'm out. (laughs) You're out. (laughs) It's legit, (laughs) and I love it because you know I think that's that in some ways actually is the future you know, and I mean, like, even in in preparing for these podcast interviews, I've, I know the podcast that I like, I know what the expectations are of the podcasting community. But I kind of think, you know what, I'm still going to do it the way that I want to do it. Because you feel more free. And I think that, you know, if I feel more free, then hopefully you as a guest is, and you can be more of yourself. And then we can really have like a a real, genuine, authentic conversation instead of one that's crafted to fit something yes. that that maybe we don't even like, you know? Not yeah, that I'm saying anything absolutely. wrong about other podcasts because I think they're brilliant. It's just, yeah. I want to do it my way. Yeah. And I that's think cool. that kind of brings me really nicely to the work that you're doing because I know, you know, you, you've shifted some of your um, graphic facilitation from being in person to being online, partly, I suppose, as the result of the pandemic. And so... How has that move been for you? And and what were some of the lessons that you learned that would be worthy of sharing?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, really, one thing I was very thankful for was that I was not trying to recreate a graphic facilitation business virtually. I was shifting teaching. And I actually, in the past 18 months, I've only had, I think, a single graphic facilitation project. Um, and what I loved about it was you know, I had a lot of feelings about just how qualitatively different that specific role would be virtually, because there is so much that happens when you have, in my case, I don't work digitally, I work with actual paper and and, and uh, giant sheets of paper and markers, is what that presence of that physical drawing does in the room and how people focus on it. So um, when, you know, I was about, I was six days away from coming to Europe to teach. So that was the absolutely the biggest disruption had to cancel workshops refund workshops <laughs> and um uh, and so for me it was much more um okay you know still know these still have this knowledge, love to teach these skills. Where do we go? And um, so it was much more about building. I'm sitting in front of the what I nicknamed Winky, which is what I call my teaching robot, um, because I'm in front of four monitors uh, in a field monitor. So I guess five. And the my little Logitech Brio camera is oblong. So it looks like a winking eye. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Winky. Um, but that really was the biggest thing was a um, couple things. One was as as painful as things have been, getting shoved off the hamster wheel was really important. Um, you know, kind of the I was stuck in this cycle of what's the next workshop? What are all the logistics? All those kind of things. And um, and I just it's not stuff I loved. You know, I, mm. by the time I got to that room teaching those glorious humans and knowing that we had a really good experience together, I was so kind of worn out even before I got there. You know, so there wasn't as much joy as I'd like there to be. Um, so part of it was just kind of the disruption and the reset button. You know, I call it you know the the giant reset button. All this, um, and then the second part was okay. Now we've had I'm you know looking at my setup here. Now we have these tools to reach any. I have these tools, not the royal we. Um, I have these tools to kind of reach anyone anywhere. And um, so it's been. And I know that might sound really blithe. There was a huge learning curve. I mean, thankfully, I'm enough of a nerd for technology and enough of a, you know, I love problem solving. So it was kind of coming to a good friend of mine and saying, okay, here's what I want to do. You know, here are my objectives. Like, here's how I want to teach. And so we were able to kind of set up, make this setup that worked so well for that specific, you know, those specific objectives. And it turns out that um, I freaking love it. Like this (laughs) introvert in me, That like, you know, I'm so excited about what I talk about. Nobody ever thinks I'm an introvert. But the fact that I'm here in my own space, nobody's around me (laughs) because I am very hypersensitive to other folks, you know, absorbent of everyone's stuff, high empath, all that good stuff or all that tough stuff sometimes. And so now it's like, you know, it's fantastic that, uh, yes, I was forced to adapt. Yes, there was pain, especially with the business and finance. And what came out of it was something that, let me be more me Mm. in a space, you know, in a space that um, where I truly could manage my own energy better. Like I happily, you know, like you said about being yourself and nothing's better than that. Like nothing's better than that. There is room for us to be ourselves. Um, And, you know, so, so it wasn't as if I wasn't myself in those other channels. And I'm so thankful (laughs) to be able to have this which truly works yeah. much better with
1: my energy levels. And it's interesting because, like, I mean, I, I can resonate with a lot of what you're saying about this thing of, you know, being in other spaces and, and being yourself, but also just not necessarily being able to be 100% yourself and so for me for example what i've discovered is that i am naturally introvert, introverted and i'm very comfortable being introverted but sometimes other people are not comfortable with that right mm. and yet here we are kind of connecting online and for me it enables me to kind of balance my the energy that i need to express my extroversion or have conversations like this etc but also yeah. the introversion is actually fine and it's all this wonderful balance of being able to be more you which I never anticipated yeah you know isn't that beautiful it's wonderful it really <laughs> is and 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 I think actually that I suppose the biggest kind of reflection for me about that as as we in the UK and I think globally, we're starting to try and do our best to come out of the pandemic, is how do you then take that learning and actually still be more of you when you go back into the other or the new normal or whatever it's going to be called? And that, yep. I think, is the critical thing.
0: Yeah, I think you've absolutely, as you describe that, um, you know, at Envision, my big annual event, um, you saw my friend Patricia Martin. She's writing a book about I love it. I, I'm so eager for for she's wrestling this book. It's a really important book, and uh, uh, it's called "Will the Future Like You?" And um, part of it is about, you know, kind of what is your public persona like? How how do you how do you? <laughs> it's like how much do I describe this? Not. It's basically just that that tension that always exists between your personal self and your more public self, and how much of the hard stuff do you share? You know, like how how vulnerable can you be, are safe to be? And I have to say, as you know, the, just the, the way all of this has forced so many of us to drop the facade Mm. and the relief of, wow, (laughs) we are all so darn human going through our stuff. Um, Thankfully, before the pandemic happened, I had my alumni community, my college community was a really safe space for that. Mm. So I was, I was very happy to Already know that that's possible and then see it happen so much more widely. And so I think, you know, to what you're saying, like, what, where do we go from here as people have dropped a lot of that facade? Um, I think a lot of us are like, whew, like, great, you know, like not willing to put that facade back up.
1: Yeah. Um, And even dropping the nine to five, like, I mean, I know it sounds kind of like a little bit, in in fact, it is quite privileged to be able to say that. But if you're working in an office environment, and you don't need to do that anymore, and you've got some opportunity to be able to work from home, then just rebalancing that. And if you're working in a a, a place where your shifts are kind of organized by somebody else, maybe, maybe you feel able to say no, just a tiny little bit more, or you assess, well, I don't want to do this, you know, and what, looking yeah. at what are the other options that are available to you? And I think that in itself is just an enormous gift.
0: I think a lot of us were on hamster wheels, mm. you know, a whole lot of us were on hamster wheels that we, you know, and a certain extent, they probably were working for us and the other ways they weren't. So to, you know, get shot, like I say, shoved off the hamster wheel, um, that idea that, um, I I love that people have recognized like, oh, wait a second. It didn't have to be nine to five. It didn't have to be my butt in that desk seat, you know, that chair in my office. Um, Yeah. It's been really interesting to see how much, how much problem solving and adapting has happened and how much that has created so many other ways of being. Um, And I think, you know, I know early on, I don't know if you were thinking about this too, but this idea that, you know, things are changing so much, but it was sort of like this tension of a rubber band. And the question was, how much was it going to snap back or not? Mm. And I think definitely 18 months or however exactly months it's been of tension. <laughs> that rubber band is no way is that rubber band going to you know go back to where it was. Um, yeah. But I think that, are you looking for a rubber band nearby? <laughs> I, do
1: you know, I tell you why I'm looking for a rubber band, right? Because I had a hair band and, and it was a bit messy. So as I was trying to unravel it this morning, what's really fascinating is that the thing started out this big, but actually yeah. it broke. And, as it broke, uh-huh. it became bigger huh and and I think yeah. there's just kind of like for me in my head, I'm just thinking there's a visual kind of representation of what you're saying in terms of yeah. actually the size of it doesn't need to still be the same going forward absolutely absolutely yeah. and
0: and i i'm I'm happy to be in circles where. It's a lot of folks who are agile and adaptable and problem solvers and and definitely, I, you know, saying somebody's out of the box gets a little, you know, we've heard it a lot of times, but still true, the people who think outside of the box. Um, and, you know, so happily, this isn't really impacted me personally, but the folks who are like so ready to put that box back together,
1: <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, like
0: what, the, the tensions between, yeah. you know, you're, you're like, nope, no box anymore.
1: Me, I'm I'm like, I don't know what the box looks like. You know, so I I would describe it as a container and I and I'm still on a journey there. I think, you know, every now and then I want a different one. But I allow myself the freedom to have different containers in different boxes because I don't like um, anything to be too much of the same. I I think I like variety. So. And that's interestingly, actually, why I why I got into architecture in the first place was because I just had this vision that not every day would be the same. You know and the irony now is i don't practice as an architect anymore but still in my life not every day is the same so yeah. <laughs> you that, know
0: that's a huge part of what i loved about graphic facilitation it was always a different a different industry different clients different organizational culture different things they were there to do like mm. the
1: best mm. <laughs> i'd love to yeah. go back to something you said earlier about kind of synthesizing you know what what is in my head a huge amount of information and getting it onto one sheet what yeah. is your process for that because I think we live in a time where there is so much information around us and and the challenge that we have with Google is that it and, and any search engine is it's a huge yeah. gift but you you ask a simple question and you kind of get overwhelmed with information so what's your advice on how to synthesize uh, information and and kind of make links A
0: couple things come to mind as you ask the question one is Um, one, the first thing is don't treat yourself like a recording device. And the second thing is iteration, let stuff start messy. So the recording device idea is we put this, we put these absolutely kind of inhumane expectations on ourselves that as we're taking in information, we are, we are like a recording device where we are getting every detail. And there's no reason, there's no reason for us to do that to ourselves, especially because we all have recording devices pretty much on our person all the time. Um, so the first thing is, as you're taking in information to just let yourself be present as a human being, to know that all that stuff coming at you, um, that you're not responsible for holding all of it. I think when folks who the folks who do love like the biggest thing is like when, when the folks who love uh, taking regular notes as kids. They would take copious, copious amounts of notes and they were sort of treating themselves like a recording device. And then they'd look back at those notes and not have an experience of them because they were mm. in that mode of I have to write, I have to capture every single point instead of instead of stopping. So the, the contrast to that is when you treat yourself as a human being who's present, you listen and you listen and you go, okay, I'm gonna hold on to that idea. You listen some more and you go, okay, that idea connects to this idea. You know, so you're not you're listening, you're giving yourself the space to really be processing what you hear to truly do those higher levels of thinking versus just strictly capturing like, okay, what's the next idea? What's the next idea? What's the next idea? So that's the first thing is just recognizing that you're not a recording device. You can go back to that information.
1: And, and, and what I'm hearing actually is as well is um, you're listening deeply, but you're not just listening for the words you're listening for, you know, the the kind of visuals of it and for how you're feeling and the atmosphere within the space.
0: This, absolutely, the way things uh, connect or don't connect to each other, you know, how close or near is one, how close or near are two ideas to each other. Um, and it really is that thing of like, okay, I'm holding on to this, not sure if it's going to be used, not sure if it's important yet. So there's a lot of malleability. There's a lot of push. I like this, I call it like pushing stuff around. And that's why the messy part is so important is that, you know, are you, are you kind of giving yourself the right tools to be messy, to just get stuff down, push it around? That's why, you know, I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of index cards, similarly sticky notes, because they just let you get stuff down and push it around and that it's going to be messy. Like it's it's going to be a freaking mess because you're trying to figure out what the shape this information needs to take. Um, so, I mean, yes, if somebody watches me as a graphic facilitator, they're going to see you know, 40 years drawing as a human, 40 plus years, almost 50 years now, uh, 20 years, as a, over 20 years as a professional, they're gonna see the nerd who like, loves to synthesize, right? So if you see me working live, you're gonna be like, holy crow, how does that happen? Well, again, that's the 60 combined years or whatever. Um, versus if I'm working out my own stuff, if I'm learning something for myself, like it's a totally different process where it is just like, let's get stuff out, let's push it around, it's messy as heck. But that's exactly where we need to be. And that's, you know, so the monthly, our monthly Q&A is drawing as a verb. I say that so often what happens is people put, well, you know, it's the inner critic. The inner critic is so noisy, so loud. Um, perfection, you know, a whole lot of us achievers are perfectionists. And there's this sense of if I'm, if I'm making some, if I'm putting something on a piece of page, a uh, piece of paper, it's becoming a product and that product has to look beautiful. <laughs> Right? Things have to align. Everything has to be nice and even. And none of that is true. And so the drawing as a verb is when we switch from focusing on drawing as a product. And that's when we judge ourselves as, is this drawing good or bad or ugly or pretty to shifting to drawing as a verb. And the only judgment of a drawing focused, of a verb, uh, is a process focused drawing. There we go. The only uh, judgment of a process focused drawing is did it help you get a step closer in what you're trying to do? Mm -hmm. that's it and so you know we don't give ourselves that permission we don't give ourselves that space because that's when you're going to get all the messy stuff that's when you're going to let yourself go you know what I just lost the last two points because I was really vibing on this point I just heard you know like you said like you're Mm -hmm. listening for deeper learning and you're noticing does this resonate with me does this not resonate with me so all those things that really help us better Mm -hmm. connect to a better process as, as whole humans
1: and I tell you something else that's coming for me right now is that I have always in my head kind of played with what the um, do I like when it comes to writing, do I type things in or do I write with a, a with a pencil or, or a yeah. pen? And and so that's kind of in the facilitation or the graphic facilitation world, visual thinking world, it's making me think, do I draw on my iPad or do I draw with a pencil and paper? And yeah. If I'm honest, I would say at the moment, I'm kind of leaning towards drawing with um, on an iPad. However, the reason why I prefer making my notes when I'm writing with a pen and paper is because of this piece about editing. So I always say that when we're typing, the way that our brain works is we self edit before the words land in our fingers and mm-hmm. what I have realized through this conversation and what you've just said is that perhaps in the first kind of iteration of a drawing, you should always do it with pen and paper or pencil and paper yes. because you're then um, allowing some of the self-edit that you would do if you're using an iPad or an electronic device, you're allowing some of that to be released and to come through.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely um absolutely and two things it's funny we just had a in camp drawmore which is my membership community just yesterday we had one of one of our campfire conversations and we talked about that there was um uh somebody sharing a story about uh working through something a personal matter with somebody close to them and they said you know i gave them paper and pen and said you know start here and we had this conversation about how any digital tool you're always forcing your thinking through that tool what are the options in that tool um, and I, you know, I know that there are limitations of physical materials, but you know, I don't know, I think it's a lot more flexible. The second thing is, and I think you know, you'll definitely know where I'm coming from here, is when when we're there is a just a qualitative difference, you know. Again, if the iPad is where you want to go, if that's a tool that works for you, fantastic. Use it in good health. And I think there's a qualitative difference between the the um physical materials and the digital materials because when we're we're dealing with screens all the time like I love that right now I'm looking at these screens and I can see you and we can connect and I do think this is a beautiful conversation and we have so many screens surrounding us in our lives. Like, you know, the, the screen at the back of the, the taxi seat, you know, when you're sitting there, the screen, like with screens and freaking the aisles in the grocery store. So they're everywhere. And not only, you know, do they give us way more information than we can handle, we become really, really good at tuning them out. And mm-hmm. there is a level of abstraction between us and, you know, all these layers of technology where instead of showing up as a three dimensional human, We kind of become that brain in a jar attached to a couple hands Mm -hmm. when we're making a physical drawing this i believe qualitatively just it's a difference in noticing much more being much more connected to our body and noticing what are the Mm -hmm. sensations in your body you know am i I feeling kind of you know a a pain in a certain place or those you know that wave of of excitement when you know the goosebumps when something clicks Mm -hmm. so i just think that is different when you're using physical materials
1: yeah and i completely i mean it's funny because when i when i was writing my book results of the art and the science of getting it done i tried yeah. so hard to kind of write and and download my thoughts in a, a word document and it just wasn't working and then i kind of got myself you know literally blank pieces of paper and, and a pencil and i would draw every single day And within the space of about three weeks, I had all of my frameworks and my methodology mapped out to the the point where I thought, because for me, it's kind of like, do I get it? And can I get um, other people to understand it and explain it to somebody else? Because if I can do that, then we're there. And I know I could not have done that if I was just typing words.
0: And when you're typing words... You are you're all the so many of the decisions you're making. You have so fewer, you have far fewer decisions to make when you're typing because you're thinking, what is the next word? You know, what is this idea? How do I want to express it in words? How does this relate to what I just wrote? It's very linear. It's only using words. And when you have those pieces of paper, you're making decisions around. You know, what are these, you know, if it's a framework, like, what is the shape of this framework? What is the level of detail? Do I want any colors associated with different parts of this framework? You know, what is the scale? Is this idea big or is this idea small? And Mm. that's what gives us so much more opportunity to really make meaning for ourselves as we have exploded possibilities on what we can put on that piece of paper instead of, okay, I got that idea down. What's the next idea? Right?
1: Uh, Yeah. And you know what? It's also really easy to start fresh. Because you don't have to delete yes. anything. You just got totally. a new piece of paper. <laughs> you know? totally. totally. So I'm looking so, at all
0: the like piles around me. I can definitely relate.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's funny because I, I was trying so hard to to give the drawings of my book to somebody else to do. And in the end, I was just put in a position where I had to do them myself. But because oh, yes. I'd been through that journey, it just made it easier to do. And then nothing sophisticated But, you know, the expression that they have is the communication that is needed and necessary.
0: Absolutely. They are. They yeah, they're the the, you you are your hand is in those drawings. Yeah. That has a power that that just wouldn't be there if it had been translated by somebody else who might have more design experience. But Mm -hmm. what you would lose, you know, yeah, I'm. Yeah. It's
1: like the whole thing of getting ghostwriters, isn't it? I mean, ghostwriters are probably going to write a much better book, but actually that's not going to be your words, you know? And so I know when I've spoken to people about writing my million books that I want to write, they were, you know, they're always saying outsource it, but it just feels for me personally, and it doesn't matter if you want to do that, no kind of harm, no foul. But for me, it just feels a little bit kind of sticky and it's not Mm -hmm. something that I would choose to do. So. Well,
0: and you're kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you. In my case, it's, you're taking away some of my favorite stuff to do, which is that really crunchy mental work of what is what is it I'm trying to say? What is the shape of it? How am I going to yeah. walk somebody through these ideas? Wow, yeah. don't lose that. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> as you're saying that. it out
1: loud, I'm kind of thinking yeah. that it's quite painful, but you know what? That's the kind of pain that I like. <laughs> <So>.
0: Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's so worth it. You know, it's Absolutely. not easy, but it's so worth it.
1: Yeah, and and in you know speaking of pain, um, I'd love to kind of hear. I know this is a big question, but <laughs> it's important, I think, to help people to to unpack their own show stoppers. And so, what I'd love to ask you is, um, what kind of show stoppers have you had to overcome, and how have you done it? And show stoppers are things like procrastination, or imposter syndrome, or fixed growth mindset, or you know mm-hmm. any of the above.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, very early on in our conversation, you remind me of one of them, which was, it took me a very long time to start really actively building my body of work and teaching people getting the, you know, getting the, all these resources out in the world to learn visual thinking because I didn't like the models I was seeing. And in this case, mm. you know, very specifically, um, you know, I don't work in traditional academia. I work through the internet, you know, and a lot of that's internet marketing. So it took a very, very long time before I saw anyone where I went, I want to be that person because there was a whole lot of, you know, around. Yeah, I still think, I still, I'm still super, I'm, ugh, I am can not even form sentences. The fact that I can connect with you, the fact that we can bring people together, the fact that, you know, we can self-publish books and and they're real.
1: And it's amazing. <laughs> and people,
0: right all of that is absolutely awesome. And there's a whole lot of, you know, quote, air quotes, leaders that you would never want to follow. Mm. So I think that was a big showstopper for me was just going, I still believe in my ideas. I believe these are good channels for me to use, but it took a long time to find the right folks where I'm like that, that is who I want to be. Um And another, let's see,
1: so, so, who is it that you're learning from from that side of things? Because I always find that stuff quite interesting.
0: For me, the big thing, the big person, was Brendan Bruchard. Mm. He's, um, you know, I think part of it is relating to you know coming from the middle of the U.S. slightly different parts of the U.S., but you know, um, not families of means, being resourceful, figuring stuff out. He is a nerd for what he does. He's a researcher, um, and he's truly a teacher. So, yes. What he teaches, he sells, but the primary thing really is the the teaching and the learning.
1: Yeah, and, and I a have a stable. lot of space for him. I mean, you know, I've been in Brendan's world since, what, 2013, 2014. I've just nice. got so much reverence for him because I think, um, yeah. and, and here's the test, you know, in that you can meet somebody and they can present in a particular way, but are they the same over the years? And are yeah, they the absolutely. same when you meet them in person when you meet them online, when you meet them in front of thousands of people, and if they are, then you know they're a good one. And I think I would yes. say that he's a good one. So. And ha-
0: you've, have you been in those live events?
1: Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, before the pandemic, I actually went to gosh, what is called the high performance Academy with my daughter yeah. for the second time. So oh, I, in total, great. I think I've been to about 20 of his live events. Does that make me a fan? I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, well, I, you know, it's a really good recharge. I mean, that says a lot that like he's a good source for you. What, the reason I brought up the live events, I think I've been to, I think three or four um, is um, no, this is me. And you know, I come from an events world as a facilitator Watching his team,
1: yes, and
0: watching how he respects his team and how they respect each other, hundred percent, and seeing the same faces, and you know, talking about integrity and who you resonate with. I'm like, okay,
1: Mm. (laughs) this is that. And you know, you're sharing one of my secrets because that's the thing that I do to see: um, is this somebody that I want to learn from? Because actually, if I identify um, that you've got knowledge that I want to get. That for me is a really big thing. But you know what? If the people around you um, are not being treated well and they're not, you know, there's some kind of tension that you can sense, actually, that is not a space that I want to be in. And I would rather go and learn from somewhere else. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Because if, the, if, if there's no mutual respect of kind of like staff and leader, how is there going to be respect of student and teacher? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And um, yeah, and the respect in his particular case, I was just thinking about this yesterday. I don't know what made me think of this, is he is so smart and kind and generous with everything, like the way he is present on the stage. And I don't know how many times in those you, I'm sure you've seen this multiple times in events. Somebody like they don't exactly heckle him, but they disrupt. You know, mm. somebody decides they're gonna shout something out. The way he handles that and it's clearly burns that boundary. Yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. It's just like, yes, because he's thinking about, you know, what is this experience for this whole room? Like, he's not going to let that person, you know, Mm. flare up and do their thing. Like, Mm. yeah, that was just happened to be something I was thinking about yesterday is is, is, it's it's a little bit uncomfortable, but it's also like the respect he's showing for the entire room is
1: Mm. perfect. And actually that's a really, it's a really rich growth and learning opportunity for us as well, as teachers, as well as just kind of looking at how the room is being handled and all of that other stuff. So Absolutely. I always go with kind of like two angles to these events. One, I, of course, I want to learn to the content, but I also want to know, you know, how is he handling all of these challenges yes. so that when I do my own events and a lot of it is actually applicable virtually as well. When mm-hmm. that's happening, how do you respond um, yes. And and you know I I've seen kind of uh, hecklers let's call them that online and you know mm-hmm. it, it says a lot about the teacher and their patients for how they deal with them.
0: Yeah, mm. I um I want this is something I love to share because it's been so darn useful to me. Um, there's a American facilitator named Roger Schwartz who wrote a book called The Skillful Facilitator, and I fully admit I haven't read the book. It looks like an amazing resource. You know, it's a nice chunky you know, robust book. Um, I met him through the International Association of Facilitators Conferences, and he did a session on how to deal with difficult situations. And I don't know how many times I've told the story, but it's so freaking useful, which is he, you know, so he is, is, you know, a, a very strong speaker, well known in that community. He had like a really big breakout room with tons of people showing up. And so imagine, you know, kind of this overflowing breakout room with people sitting at circular tables, you know, classic hotel room with no windows, blah, blah, blah. And he said, okay, imagine you're facilitating and your client, you have, you know, you're facilitating your writing on a flip chart. You get to the bottom of the flip chart and you go to move it so you can start, you know, continue writing. And your lead client comes up to you and says uh, we can't be talking about this. What do you do? And it was fascinating because what happened was as in small groups, we were all like trying to like read the mind of our clients and, or save face for them or all these things where we're like going, we're, we're trying to extrapolate and go like four or five steps down the road of like, well, what did they mean? And what do they want? And and some of us shared, you know, when we came back as a whole group, some of us shared these ideas. And then Roger said, well, I'd just say, well, you know, you know, Susan just came up to me and said something, Susan, do you want to share with us? And like the whole room was like,
1: what?
0: (laughs) And I think a whole lot of us who, you know, I don't know your experience, but a lot of us who are in facilitation often didn't come from great families. A lot of our skills skills come from being really tuned in a lot of different layers, Mm -hmm. you know, levels, you know, that empathy and that, you know, being able to read the stuff that's not being said, you know, and so I think a whole lot of us are like, what? (laughs) It just felt so confrontational. And what he taught us was when you're two things one is staying low and observational mm-hmm. and so part of that is instead of thinking like you know susan wants me to get off this topic because of this or her boss or you know whatever just say here's an observation and then give her the opportunity to say something which leads to the second thing which is what happens in, this is why i thought of this was what happens one on one needs to be dealt with one on one what happens in the group needs to be dealt with in the group i think very often if you have somebody who is disruptive or you know trolling on the online you know kind of in tro- online vernacular or being disruptive in a more in person situation you know so often they're like you should pull that person aside and have a conversation with them no <laughs> you should you should address it as a group because then everyone knows it's happened they know that that's not a, that's not behavior that's accepted in, in the norms of what that group is creating so I really appreciate that that part that you know perf- mm. perfectly exemplified by by what Brendan does, and just this idea of staying low and observational. Like when I'm when I'm working virtually, I've got these screens up here where I can see all my participants, which is complete game changer, you know, because they may be on mute, but I'm reading the body language and noticing. And you know, I do these one day deep dive workshops that are intense (laughs) like like, it may not be the best (laughs) pedagogy but like I'm a fire hose of information when I teach and so I'll watch people on you know and I'll say okay guys I'm just noticing there's you know seems like the energy's low or you know I you know if somebody's yawning Mm -hmm. I'll just say you know is that okay is that just time zones is that just because your brains are getting kind of full but just staying observational instead of sitting here and
1: going why don't
0: they like me what's going wrong (laughs) That yeah, and works.
1: asking, you know, and actually yes. having communication, you know, because because yes. what what you're describing about the kind of the difference between the one to one in the group in many ways actually is leadership qualities, and so um, what came to me is 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 how do we deal with that in families, right? So mm-hmm. if something happens and it's you know like if if a kid or if one of my relatives or something says something to me and it's in an intimate scenario, it's one to one. Why would I take that? and put that in a bigger setting. And, And exactly the same. If someone says something to you in a, you know, like, you know, if we're all sitting having dinner, and if someone says something and it's inappropriate, that's the time to deal with it, you know. Exactly. Because if you don't do that, then perhaps what you're not doing is you're not showing that actually you are in a position of leadership. And if you want respect, you've got to demonstrate that you deserve the respect within the scenario that you're in. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And that, that I don't, I, one of my best, most frequent compliments is when people say, you know, they're happy they, that I'm a role model for setting boundaries, setting healthy boundaries. And that always makes me very happy um, because it can be, that's, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's so incredibly important.
1: Yeah, setting boundaries is a really hard thing to do. But I think that once you get to that point, I mean, you know, I'm in my, uh, I'm almost 50 myself. I'm getting to that age where I'm like, I know what my boundaries are. And it's taken me decades to get to the place where I'm clear about them and I can articulate it. Yes. you know, And not feel bad because the articulation of the boundary is as much about respecting the other person as it is about respecting yourself. And- And it's all to do with how you share that because some people can actually feel quite offended when you Mm -hmm. say to them, hold on, you're, you're kind of crossing the mark. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of like a gift, you know, if you are giving a gift, you give it in nice wrapping and that is the way that it then gets received.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. no, absolutely. The delivery and tone and the intention is all absolutely Mm -hmm. vital there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, for me, a bit very important point. I kind of hinted at family stuff. My dad was extremely aggressive, you know, alcoholic, rageaholic, not at all fun. Very charismatic, very smart, very creative, and all those other things. Mm. Um, and my mom was, in turn, extremely passive. So I remember being in my 20s going, wait, I don't want to be him. And I don't want to be her. And finally, one day I'm like, oh, there's assertive. Like you don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be passive. There's assertive in the middle. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a a big discovery that, and I think, you know, like you said, it's, it's very much that the packaging and the gift and, you know, for anyone who's listening or watching us going, oh, this is making me uncomfortable. It's like, there's, there's, you have, there's so much beautiful nuance and choice and in how we assert ourselves and, and, ask for what our, what we need and when we do that how we model that for other folks is
1: mm. so and important. and i would uh, i would say you know if you find it uncomfortable to assert who you are and to know who you are then there is no shame in getting therapy or counseling or coaching or getting any Absolutely. help that you need because i can tell you i am the person that i am because i've had all of the above In absolutely (laughs) yes and i joke about telling you that i've almost been to 20 of you know brendan's events but what is that 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 is personal growth that's why i go i go so that i can get to know myself better so that i can be of more service and when you do that you're not just giving yourself a gift actually you're giving a gift to the world
0: Absolutely. I, you know, no, I going, I go back to his events because it's a great recharge and a reminder and getting connected to that again mm-hmm. and just acknowledging, like, i just very much supporting what you're saying about finding the resources, getting the support you need, because we may intellectually know like, Oh, I should be more assertive or, Oh, I know a, a boundaries being crossed, but that doesn't change all the wiring and all the experience and, and, and the, like the, all the emotion and all the stuff, trauma, all of that, that is, that like logically we can know, but that doesn't mean we can do it yet. And that's 100%. why we do need those those outside folks to, to give us the tools and support us as we
1: figure that stuff out. Mm, absolutely. So kind of just uh, moving the conversation on ever so slightly, yeah. um, what advice would your 16-year-old self give to you if they saw you now? <laughs>
0: I, well, uh, I thought that the other direction I'd tell my 16 year old self to learn to chill out and actually meditate and take some breaks. <laughs> uh, my 16 year old self. Yeah, I, I, I see, I see me at 16 versus me now. And there's, I kind of describe it as kind of this beautiful unwinding, mm-hmm. <laughs> like not unwinding in a scary, scary sense, or like what you were saying about the, about the hairband, um very much a loosening and and letting go and you know just taking a different shape um, so i don't know what that's a good question what my 16 year old self would say
1: i do you know why i like that one just to to give you some time to to maybe think about it i i like that because i think we we do tend to say you know what advice would you give your younger self and it's always you know a version of the same Whereas I kind of think, actually, (laughs) if my 16 year old self was looking at me, they would just kind of say, you know what? Stop worrying. You've done all right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I think that's the thing, because even now, if I reflect on my life, I'm just in this, I should be further in this. Why am I still doing this? Why is that worry in my head? But to have that kind of young person looking and just saying, it's all right, you've done well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Now, if I think about, you know, 16, being 16, being in the household I was in where so much of my energy was coping, was either coping in the household or, you know, overachieving at school. You know, I treated school like work and I was there 16 hours a day. Like I didn't want to be at home. So there was a whole lot of, you know, my identity was built built into that. And being in a place where it was a suburban place where everyone looked exactly the same. I was one of very few people who wasn't born at the same hospital. I was born in Germany because my dad was in the army and you know the the wanting a sense of like the bigger world uh, yeah 16 year old brandy would be like holy crow <laughs> wow you're being you and you're like connecting with people all over the world and and doing the yeah. stuff uh, you know i nerd that's about a- now as 16.
1: yeah and that's so cool that you were born in a in a military hospital in germany because so was my husband mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I don't yeah. even want I have no idea what the name of his hospital was, so I could ask you yeah. and I still wouldn't know if it was the same one. So let's not go yeah. there.
0: I was born in Heidelberg. I was born in Heidelberg, Germany. So yeah.
1: I, I I, should know this piece of information and I'm embarrassed <laughs> that I don't, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> it's okay. It's his, it's his birth. Yeah.
1: Um, and I
0: think well, it was, I, it was truly that little tiny bit of a, a larger world that always kept me thinking more broadly than, my immediate geography. I think it was incredibly important.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, indeed. And uh, gosh, just so many different ways that we could unpack that in that, you know, you were born in a different place. So it gives you a different perspective. So, yeah, I'd love to know what is your favorite book?
0: My favorite book uh, is Mr. Wilson's cabinet of wonder by Lawrence Weschler. Uh, it is a book about a weird little museum in Los Angeles called the Museum of Jurassic Technology that was uh, created by this Mr. Wilson as David. Uh, David, I'm awfully sure it's David Wilson. And it is a, I don't want to say too much about it because it's it's kind of a good thing not to go into to it knowing so much, but it's, it's a favorite book. I especially gave a lot, I've given lots and lots of copies away. It is um, uh, a slim, very fast read, but I love especially giving it to my friends when they were going to grad school because it's very much about what you know and what you don't know and what you can mm. know and what you can't know. So it's very much about that cabinet of curiosity and wonder and how we make meaning of what's around us.
1: Oh, I love that. And I, I'm going to be buying a copy of it as soon as we finish. Excellent. <laughs> and and what Wonderful. are you reading and listening to and watching at the moment?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, generally I'm just not much of a reader. I'll kind of skim and it's funny. And I don't, this is something that might lose some, a a big portion of the audience. I'm not a fiction reader at all. Um, I I just like to out, (laughs) I I out myself because like, there are those of us out there, but like, we're apparently, you know, but you know, it's funny
1: because I think this is the, the, this is like the second or, or third interview that I'm doing where people have just said, I really don't like reading fiction. And so wow. I feel it's like it's like when I used to say I'm an introvert and everyone was really shy or scared of saying it. Right. Now the new version of that is I don't like reading fiction.
0: Yes. Yes. That's awesome. I'm, we're not alone. Yeah. Um what came to mind a couple of things of we've been my husband and I've been well one doesn't matter. My husband and I are watching The Great Pottery Throwdown and uh, just starting on that and then I alone watched um the series Halt and Catch Fire. And I've done a ton of ceramics. So watching the Pottery Throwdown is the reality show where I actually know the most about what they're doing. And so it's it's such a pleasure to see like the problem solving and the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, see, and it's of course the expression. It's an interesting combination of sometimes they don't, it's not about self-expression at all. It's entirely about technique. Mm -hmm. Other times it's very much about self-expression to see. So to see what people are more comfortable with either or both. Um, and Halt and Catch Fire is about, do you know that one? No. It's about kind of very, very early um, building of personal personal computers and the internet, um, and it starts, I think, in 80, I think it's in 1980, and it is such a brilliant, it's such a great drama. I, I, you know, it's in the top 10% of truly caring about the, the characters wow. and they're building computers and building businesses. And it is, you know, it's one of those things where most people would be like, wait, nobody's sleeping with anybody else. I mean, there's, you know, a couple, a little bit of that, but like, you know, like as far as like drama, capital D, most people think about, like there's the, the most action is they go to, you know, the tech convention. <laughs> but what I love about both of these, what made me think of both of these is they're so gorgeously nerdy, about process, mm. and that's you know I'm such a nerd for process. So anytime I see that that like smart people figuring stuff out and getting better at what they do, mm. <laughs> it just brings me so much freaking joy. Like I, I'm not the person who wants to watch people fail. I'm sorry. <laughs> any shows or any of that forget it
1: yeah and and maybe that's that's why you're doing the work that you're doing because you really really enjoy process and so you're able to to like take all of that information and distill it clearly so that you can um kind of highlight some of the nuance of that process and and just do it in a really really wonderful way Mm -hmm. um there's so many different things that I want to to ask you in directions that we could go in. And and I'd love to have you back just to kind of maybe unpack a little bit more about some of the questions sure. that are in my mind, including, you know, yeah. the way that you describe shapes, because I think that that is quite fascinating and different and enables people to think differently. So mm-hmm. that's uh, uh, perhaps for the future. Yeah, but I, I, I would love to know... Um, In terms of wrapping up, kind of like, what advice do you have for me?
0: Oh, I think you got it going on. Um, I, I I mean, it's always and just very much piggybacking on what I just said is always give yourself that that space to to be messy and be in the process. You know, I think the I don't think this is an issue for you. I could be wrong, but I think um, part of what, what resonates between the two of us is. We're, we're not folks so tied up in uh, kind of that broader thing of, you know, rushing to product and rushing to perfection, you know, that kind of like, you know, I'm going to put stuff out there and, you know, like you said about the book, like that you thought the drawings were going to be something else, but they needed to be from your hand. So mm-hmm. really, it's just uh, just letting yourself be in the not done yet stage and the figuring it out stage, because everything around us wants a, wants to force us to the finished public published book you know, the, you know, perfect, whatever the thing is. So,
1: and, and even then when it was published, there were still some mistakes in it. So, (laughs) and I just, I'll just kind of, um, share something with you in that my, my own kind of battles with some of this. I I love that I'm presenting myself like that, but that really isn't me (laughs) because when I did my, uh, first master's thesis gosh it must be about 20 something years ago and I think my thesis was kind of like it got one of the highest marks and yet all I can remember is the mistakes and the page numbers of the mistakes (laughs) Uh, but that's not me anymore. And I had to good, really good. work hard to come away from that. So if anyone has just listened to the advice that you've given me and thought, oh, you know, it's all right for that Actually, it's not all right for me. Good. <laughs> it's, it's this learning journey that you yes. have to really, really continue to be on in terms of knowing that there is no such thing as perfection. It's about being a work in progress and just being open to whatever kind of lands for you, you know, and learning exactly. from that.
0: And, and kind of going back to, um, you know, that, that starting out messy and iterating that like, you, you got to start somewhere and then it can always be reworked. It always, you know, we are, it's exactly what we do with ourselves and in our relationship is we learn from, learn, learn the lessons when we get them. And I love this phrase, uh, you keep on getting the same lesson until you learn it. So sometimes yeah. there's stuff that, that
1: just keeps on showing up because you haven't learned it yet. And that's just part of the process. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Brandy, it's been such a gift speaking to you. you. Um, if, if people are looking to find out a little bit more about you and about your work, where can they, where should they go?
0: Well, my website name does not describe what I do, but people remember it and it's loosetooth.com. And uh, that's where all the resources live. Um, and I would absolutely love to see folks on the monthly drawing as a verb. It generally tends to be the second Tuesday of the month. Um, but again, it's this open-ended opportunity to get to share a couple of models that help open our minds and broaden our definition of drawing. Uh, and I don't know exactly the timing um, of this this episode, but uh, I do have my big annual conference for visual thinkers coming out, which is called Envision. And I would absolutely welcome folks to join me there. It's a very uh, it's three days live virtual event, very affordably priced. Get to connect with the you know I like to, I've now named it the Smarty Party. Like I really love creating the smarty parties and uh, not that, you know, just we're curious people. We love to learn, you know, love to love, love to figure stuff out. So.
1: Yeah, and for All Smarties, I went to the chocolate right because we have little chocolate Smarties here. So oh yeah, you uh-huh. go, you know.
0: nice. And, we have Smarties, and, but they're like these chalky, terrible candies. and They're not chocolate, so um, I have to remember that that they are candies yeah. too. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I and I would I would advocate you know if you've got the time or you can carve out the time, please do attend because Envision's a really really great experience in that. Thank you. It certainly helped me just to pause and kind of like think about drawing in a different way. I, I, you know, without going off on, an, on another conversation, we spend too much time focusing on writing. And mm-hmm. that's all good. But I also think focus on drawing and kind of bringing out that other side as well. And uh, Envision kind of gives a brilliant way of doing that. The other, the other thing that I would also encourage people to do is if they want to understand why you call loose tooth, loose tooth, then they need to come to one of your sessions and find out the answer. So there's a little bit of mystery <laughs> in there for others listening in. Very nice. A little bit of a hook. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, That's Brandy. It. It's been oh, an it's absolute pleasure. pleasure. I've learned so much from you and I can't wait to speak to you again. Looking forward. All right. Take care. Thank Bye. You. That's us done. Thank you, Brandy. That was just yeah, really, for sure. really incredible. Like um, Thanks. I couldn't have anticipated the different directions that a conversation went in, but it was really good and rich. So, good, good. Yeah. How, how was yeah, it for I'm, you?
0: Oh, great, great. And I'm, I'm more than happy to talk more for sure. Yeah.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Because yeah. you, yes. Yeah, so and now you have the list of questions <laughs> somewhere, maybe. You know,
0: I haven't, let me check the spam again. I wonder what's going on.
1: Um, I swear. Oh, well, there s- it is. I got there it. it is. I okay. got it. All right,
0: we're going to save that guy.
1: Yeah. We're going to put a star on it. Excellent. Yeah. And it's good that we've got an opportunity to big up Brendan a little bit as well. <laughs> totally. Yeah.
0: It's important. You know, I, they are, he is, uh, yeah. The folks I did learn the virtual event stuff from are, okay, what just happened to that thing? I can is resend it spanned? to you, don't worry. No, I. this is just being weird. There it is. I just went to promotions. Okay. Stop moving my emails around. Saida it goes in the primary folder.
1: Ooh, promotion,
0: literally. <laughs> <laughs> right? Out of promotions into the real inbox. You know. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and like the folks I learned from, learned all the virtual event, much of the virtual event stuff from were also super good. Um, they were very, I mean, it's. I decided not to renew uh, the year-long program with them. And it was interesting because it was like, I learned a lot from them. And this is a r- big reason I love Brendan too is, um, It got it started getting much more kind of really kind of cycled into like the hustle culture
1: and Mm. the hypiness
0: because they work with massive like the work with Tony Robbins and all these massive names. So it's really easy to get really kind of like, oh, this person has 20,000 people at their event. And it's like, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because because I can't remember if we connected via the Sage stuff or not um uh yeah you know virtual events on virtual events yeah and 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 what was interesting for me about that is that i think i mean it's a great community to be in it's it's brilliant for my learning but i can't spend too much time in there that's just for me because if i spend too much time in there actually i find i get quite exhausted and Mm -hmm. and not a good kind of exhaustion you know yeah yeah So,
0: so i so doing leap has been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And they mm. have been insanely generous with what they know. The fact that they've been running their business, plus running, le- plus building. Do you know they have software?
1: Yeah, yeah because you must know Dorita Hatchett then, because I think yes. she's, in, yeah, she's a really good friend yep. of mine. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I I tend to be vague about their name just because you know why would any but you you know them, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and again it's it's one of those things where you get. I was just talking about this again in the Camp Drummer group. Um, we're reading. Uh, some of us are reading Julia Cameron's Listening Path. I'm I'm sorry if I'm taking up too much time. No, no, no it's fine. Go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Um, because June's theme was listening, and I had we had our deep dive workshop on visual listening. Um, we we're reading Julia Cameron's book, The Listening Path and um have you read any julia cameron
1: i only online yeah um
0: she's such a huge name and her morning pages you know and all those have been like massively helpful helpful to folks and we um this book is like her 40th some book like she's written so many books and it is so like rambly and i was talking to this friend and i was talking to this friend and i was talking to my dog and my dog was afraid of it and i was just like (laughs) And we got in this conversation where, you know, one of the women in our group was like, she's very attuned to diversity and, and and class and all these things. And she's like, yeah, I looked up all these friends, the ones who had full names because they were famous artists mm. of some kind. She's like, all white. And like, we we're just talking about sort of like the bubble of, you know, the kind of self-improvement, artsy you know, I have all the time in the world to take every workshop I could possibly want because my husband makes a lot of money. Of stuff. I don't, I'm not saying that's necessarily, you know, hers. I don't know her, her history specifically, but the whole point was we were talking about that kind of being in that bubble where that's all, you know, yes, you can reference your friends, but your friends are an incredibly privileged, yep. incredibly specific group of people. And I was referencing how in the, the leap group, it's like, I've learned a ton from them and it's also its own bubble of when's the next event? What are you selling? What's the offer? How are you? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah,
1: blah. So, yeah. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that because if you, so I've been in Brendan's world since, you know, maybe 2013, maybe yep. even earlier than that. I can't remember. Every now the time and then I, I look at the first email that he sent to me, which is kind of like, actually, I think it's 2009, but anyways, so <laughs> yeah. who cares? And, um, and a few years ago, I realised that all of my teachers were white and male, and American, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was—I've yep. been on this search for for a more diversity of who I learn from. And so I always have a kind of like—I mean, I, I'm—I joined a new community last year, exchange the exchange approach yeah. with John Burgot. Yeah. yeah. And they—they're no, really—I
0: think good. Dorita, Dorita's in there too, right? Yeah, I think she she's is. About it. Mm
1: -hmm. and they're a good bunch of people but again you know it's kind of like you know white leadership the whole team is white they've they've got they've taken one person on who is um um, Hispanic but other than Mm -hmm. that and and I'm like and and so I'm thinking is that really the kind of space that I want to be in Mm -hmm. and I also realized that actually my my own privilege is that Mm -hmm. I'm able to be in white spaces and be okay with it Mm-hmm. And yep. kind of, I've just developed this kind of protective layer that enables mm-hmm. me to to be, maybe be like Teflon a little bit, just let go of yep. all of the other stuff. But yep. the challenge then is, how do I create the space that I want to be in? And that's the thing that I'm working on now. And this for that's me cool. is part of all of that. So these conversations, all of this with Sayed a bit, is that. It, it it sounds a bit kind of like egotistical, but actually it's like, you know, the focus isn't on me in, in mm-hmm. this conversation. The focus is, you know, Brandi Egerbeck with yeah. Sayada. And, and, and it's yep. that kind of thing. And how do we find those nuances and stuff? And so, sure. but this piece about creating the space that you want to be in yourself is just such, it's a lifelong journey. It really is, yes. you know? Yeah.
0: Now, so you you attended the virtual event
1: on virtual events. Right? I did. So, so my journey to, to exchange was that you know you must know Jeff Walker. So yeah, of uh, him, yeah, yeah. I've so learn from him, but yeah. So I, I've I um, have bought Jeff Walker's product launch formula many many times and just thought. You know, it's not been on my priority to to go to the States for his PLF live. But when it was online, I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So did it um, live. That's where I found out about Sage, attended Sage's event and then saw John Berghoff. Um, And and, I mean, literally, my description of the story is like this. Uh, When he was five minutes into his presentation, I kind of thought, I need to learn how he's doing what he's doing. And that was it. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, because I just think it's it's really unique in the way that, yeah. um, you know, the engagement that can be created, the depth of community and conversation and all of that stuff. But yeah, then there's also some stuff within there that's kind of like, you know, it just rubs me up a little bit the wrong way. But yeah. then it's going to be oh, like yeah. that in all communities, all even in community. the one I create, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and the, and and John, you know, seeing him at that event uh, because I come from facilitation, it was totally mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, swimming in the same water, where I'm like, yeah. awesome. So I was really glad he was there because that is so incredibly important. Um, and the the reason I asked specifically about the event was, you know, just just the act of the um, you know, f- what kind of community do you want to create is that defining the right fit client and the wrong fit client, The you know, and yes, the big why and the non-negotiables, but like but getting that clarity around, you know, attitudes and experiences and what are we creating? Like, how do we show up with each other? Yeah. I mean, you know, yes, I've known some of that, but I was very thankful that the event plus, you know, I did decide to join LEAP, but that gate, that put me in that space so explicitly to figure out. And, you know, again, we had had a call about the listening path on Friday and then we had a campfire yesterday. So I'm, you know, especially, front of mind with my community folks. And like, we're talking about the Envision registration page. And uh, Jen was like saying, you know, you might want more detail on that page. (laughs) He said, and I said, well, yes, I'm part of that was, it was the first year and I was figuring Mm. out what it was. And part of it is by design that I'm going to attract the people who are like, that's my person, or I don't know what this is, but I'm willing to try it versus the person who needs like, here's the specific agenda. And here's exactly what the learning objectives are. I mean, they're gonna have a great experience. They're gonna learn a lot. But that, that shit, you know that that primes. That's gonna attract the right people and repel the wrong people. Mm. And uh, but I think you know what you're saying about the conversations with and inviting people and making space for different voices. You know, I there was absolutely no reason Camp Drawmore needed to be all women, and it just happened that 100 of the people who cho- chose to join me were women. But mm. I think part of that is you know I think about visual thinking specifically. I think every person who has a podcast about visual thinking is male. <laughs> you know, just it's very mm. interesting. Like, who shows up? You know, are there more women doing visual thinking, or do I think there's more women doing visual thinking because that's who shows up to work with me? And do they choose to work up, work with me?
1: Have you seen this book? No. So I, I, no. I, I, I'm I'm actually I'm, I'm trying to get Mary Ann Seagart on my podcast right. Awesome. So she the the book is called the authority gap why women are still taken less seriously than men and what we can do about it right and i think for me the answer to what you've just said is in this book so this is an evidence-based research book that is saying, and that's what i really like about it so it's not just fluff it's not an um, an opinion there's research in here and the answer to that because i i mean here you know i was sharing with you my teachers predominantly have been white males why yeah. because the system has indoctrinated me like that right mm-hmm. and so if a man and we're all doing this right and there's there is no judgment about this this is just a matter mm-hmm. of fact you know yeah so when a man says something we take him more seriously than when a woman says something. So perhaps part of my kind of resistance in doing this podcast is essentially, and and, and I can say this because nothing's going to happen with this part of the conversation, is me kind of sticking my fingers up at the system and saying there are more voices and there are people that we should be listening to in a different way. Absolutely. 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 Yep. So I think...
0: um, yeah, it's a, I uh, Patricia who you saw at um, at Envision. You know, I th- that's interesting. There's like the generational difference. She's a chunk older than me, but she's she absolutely had to fight the gender issue far more than I did. I think part of that is the age I came up in. I think part of it is I'm way. I mean, yes, I'm wearing lipstick right now, like I do that on video. Generally, I present way less feminine than most women, and I know that has had a very different way. You know, the way I've been able to move through the world as a woman. There's a whole lot of navigating stuff that i just haven't had to navigate so that's you know an ease i've had and sort of an otherness i've had that i've been extremely thankful for you know
1: yeah i mean and and it's good and bad you know and i think that's the thing because no one should ever feel that they're having to be othered you know And that's why so so in, in my bigger picture, I mean, you know, I'll share with you and then, you know, because I've kept you longer than I, I I want I should have done, but um, my bigger picture is that I'm I'm so I'm doing my doctorate at the moment, which is all about identity and intersectionality and other bits and pieces. Awesome. And um, I'm creating or well, I've already bought the domains for something called the Center for Belonging and Understanding. And I want to have that as kind of like a research centre. Oh, thank you. (laughs) As a research centre, but also kind of like documenting the lived experience of people and also looking at, you know, academic and corporate and all of this kind of stuff. Whereas there is something already called the Centre for, or or the Belonging and Othering Institute, and their work is phenomenal and I really like Mm -hmm. it. But the word othering, for me, triggers me because I don't mm-hmm. like it, and I don't want yep. to um, either be othered or feel othered or perpetuate otherness. I'd much rather do all of that for understanding.
0: <laughs> it's like you have to acknowledge it, but it being in the name perpetuates it. it just uh, yeah. Does.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, And then awesome. it's a really weird space to be in because, this, you know, it's like some of my heroes have set this thing up, and here I am coming along saying, you know what, it's great to get us to where we are now, but we need a different kind of language. Oh, completely.
0: Uh, do you know the Spiral Dynamics
1: model? Um, I know it. You like, like Lasada's stuff. Yeah. This is uh, uh, Beck and
0: Cohen? No. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a. Uh, I uh, – I don't know if I have it on this computer. Um, it's, you could send yeah, me a link to it afterwards if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a model um, by these guys uh, – Beck in Cohen, I'm forgetting, Don, one of them's named Don. Um, and it's, uh, it was in the book, um, The Theory of Everything by Ken Wilber. Um, do you know Ken Wilber?
1: I do. That's so funny. Yeah. Someone actually commented on the post that I put up this morning about, um, what was I saying? About it being thesis week and deconstructing the stereotype. And someone commented with a Ken Wilber quote. Nice.
0: I, um, some people love him. Some people think he's like, you know, too woo-woo, whatever. The book I found—he has a two-two. The draw quad was based on his model from that book. Um, and so, anyway, spiral dynamics. The it's a like base. It's usually shown as like a spiral, like kind of like a tornado shape. But I really like le- looking at it as concentric circles or mm-hmm. ovals because the idea is that humanity started out in the survival mode and then it moved into the next mode, into the next mode, and as it moves into those new ways of being it's, um, it still contains the other parts. You know, the proportions are always shifting, but, and they, they, there's seven memes, I think we're like moving into the yellow meme. They're named by colors. So the orange meme was very much like the white guys modernism. You know, there's only a few people who have the you know right answers and they're male and they're white. And then the postmodernism, the green meme was very much everyone has a voice. Um, and and that is absolutely important. And we're kind of spinning out in the way we're in that, the kind of green meme of the, you know, yeah, we're going to have a whole other conversation about this, but the idea is that <laughs> the next meme is called yellow and it's about models and how things fit together. What? You know, whereas like it went from nobody had a voice except for a few white guys. And then it went to everybody has a voice and we're all kind of talking at each other and sort of, you know, you can't argue with my experience. And like, yes, that is true. And there are ways our experiences kind of fit together or don't fit together, or whatever. So the yellow meme is is this um, uh, is that next phase, and part of the next phase is it's really uncomfortable because people don't really get it. You know, like mm. it happens because yellow is very much about synthesis. I'm like, yes, please come on over. Um, but the the reason I brought this up was that idea that um, you know just looking at in in our in society now we have so many people very much raised in orange and struggling with orange. And then a ton of us who were raised in green and, you know, how important green was, but there's still the orange. And now there's the yellow saying, I don't want to argue with your experience. And I want us to find a space where we can hear each other and understand each other. And unfortunately you kind of think some of the negative parts of the green is very much like, you know, mm. that's my experience. And,
1: but it's fine. Fun- yeah, I, I mean, you I, I you know, I, I think, uh, you know well a couple of things One, yeah. i i would love to have a conversation with you about the models that i've created for the center mm-hmm. for belonging and understanding yeah um awesome. because you know i mean i i don't like being too much in my head because but these are very kind of like academic based models which i had to do deliberately for the credibility right so yes. Um, But I'd love to unpack some of that because I hope hope you would like it. Um, And then the the other thing that's come to my mind, which is a bit sadder, is that part of me really believes in order for the work that I think the world needs to be done, some people just need to pass away. I was going to say,
0: you're just waiting for the dinosaurs to die.
1: Right. You know, (laughs) uh, that's the thing. And until they do, we're just kind of like in this place of status quo. Because once they have gone, then people can say what they, they can express what they're thinking in a way that's not going to be cut down. Yep. Yep.
0: You know? um, I'd love to see the models. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's
1: I, up I, I another. Th-
0: go, go ahead. Go on. I just I'm curious. I don't know. Do you in the UK? Is there are there similar patterns with generations like Gen X and boomers? Or is that not um, quite as
1: they, defined uh, that way? There, There is. And I think some of it is real. And I think some of it is kind of li- like a little bit artificial. But yeah. um yeah, 100%, you know, and uh it for me, I suppose, because, my, you know, my kids are teenagers. So my son is 15, my daughter's 17. And it's just really interesting how to navigate the conversation with them. Yep. You know, yep. So, yep. uh mm.
0: Yeah. I, here in the U S because our co the cohort of Gen X is smaller, like we're kind of dwarfed between boomers and, and millennials. Like it's just this thing where like, we're the ones who have to, you know, had to figure it out for ourselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm very to, much like that, you know, you know? Yeah. and, and I'll be honest. I mean, there's so much that I want to say about like my upbringing and all of these other things, but I, the mm-hmm. minute I do, my mom always gets really offended because, um, so when, when I went to school, you know, w- w- London is a very wonderful, diverse place today. But I went mm. to school in 1970s London, where mm. me, uh, my sisters and maybe two or three other people were the only non-white people at the school. But here's a yeah. kicker. Mm. Not only were we then that, but my parents split up when I was seven, which meant Ooh. that we were the only divorced family in the whole school wow wow i remember quite openly i mean i I knew this but no one else did when your my friends would be like oh so where's your dad how's your dad i'd be like oh he's gone to pakistan or he's away or something and i knew i was lying but i would still do it because it Ah, it was it was it was the only way that i could protect myself from the reality of what was going on you know yeah yeah
0: yeah my parents were together but it was such a terrible situation like I was kind of I'm always so curious because I had to separate so much like if anyone was aware of what was happening you know like Mm -hmm. I'm so busy like saying look at me I'm I'm high functioning yeah yeah
1: I'm surviving I'm okay I'm all of these things when actually for me my experience of that is like literally I must have been dying deep down inside because like I mean I I I share this bit and when and I share it kind of like because it's a bit you know Anyway, when people, yeah. when my mum would say to me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'd always say, I want to be happy. Now, as an adult, when you hear that, you're just like, man, what the hell was going on around all of that for a kid yeah. to be saying that, you know? Yeah. And I think totally. the, the journey of my life has just been very much around that search for, you know, however we want to define happiness. And I think happiness has highs and lows, but it's always been that search, you know? Yeah. So. And I
0: and I respect that, you know, your the presence of your mom and trying to get your work out there with that she has, you know, that she may interact with it. Like m- both my parents have passed away. Um and I gotta say it's, it's- easier but <laughs> that's horrible to say but they yeah they were both addicts and they died you can be who
1: you obvious. want to be yeah. and i think that's the thing like i mean you know my dad died when you know in the late 90s and uh mm. to be honest when he died i was just like i mean it is kind of testimony to this i was studying in glasgow and my mum tried to call me like about 20 times and i just ignored it thinking oh my mom's just trying to call me about something silly phone her in the morning she said oh by the way your dad's passed away and i only just found out right so yeah. so i and literally it was kind of like a, you know but i think that um is it's it's hard it is really tough for my mom you know and i don't she mm. you know she raised four girls by herself and all of this other stuff and yeah and she's still a little bit toxic but actually the right thing for me to do is just to disengage from some of that Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where are you in the birth order?
1: I'm the oldest. Of course you are. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm an oldest daughter too. (laughs) So many other challenges because I am the oldest, right? right? Yeah. So like, you know, took responsibility at the age of five. And I, I think the thing that I'm realizing now is that having had like a lifetime of responsibility, I'm actually willing to take responsibility for changing the conversation in the DEI space. And I don't give a anymore and mm-hmm. I think had I not had all of that stuff I probably wouldn't yep. be able to do this now you know yeah,
0: absolutely so I um I was teaching my lab in Ham no it was another in um The Hague and it happened to be all six women that particular time and it's always more women than men but this is all women and um we were breaking for lunch and this woman was saying yeah you know my my uh company help produce an event for a book launch for a book that was specifically about oldest daughters and we only invited oldest daughters oh and my as God. like an icebreaker we had all of them line up by age and then like kind of by age group the the task was to come up with the one word that describes describes them what do you think that word was oh, bitch. <laughs> i don't know what'd you say i swore <laughs> You've already you've already said it. Really? What are oldest daughters? We are bitches. No. (laughs) And what, what? Responsible? Responsible. Every single group said responsible independently. (laughs) <laughs> and that's it you know and I think I think you do get the ones who come out more bitchy and you get the ones who come out more martyrs you know it all kind of depends right yeah but responsible that was it and it's such a specific you know my last relationship was with a man who whose mom was an oldest daughter and had an older sister and I'm like oh yeah oh, I totally God. get what you're,
1: what you're seeing here you know yeah gosh there's yep. so much even just to unpack in that but I think I know right yeah oh really. this has been so rich and fruitful um likewise it's (laughs) It's been such a gift speaking to you it really has i think every time we connect i always feel as if my life is richer so thank you oh
0: thank you you're very welcome likewise awesome
1: Uh, have a wonderful week and i'll see you on the 10th of august fantastic take care bye take care If you enjoyed this episode of With Sayada, I'd appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast and the work of the Centre for Belonging and Understanding.